This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Fish Flight Entertainment. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart of the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Ronnie Firminger, and today I am delighted to welcome Rakia Bernard back, back to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right, I got my thesis statement. You ready? Yes. Okay, here we go. Rikia Bernard has spoken publicly and consistently and frequently about the blatant racism and racist microaggressions she's experienced as a black woman in the film and television industry. She sat on innumerable diversity and inclusion panels. She's written about it including in a creative essay that went viral called Dear Becky that we published on the YVR Screen Scene site. She's spoken about it in multiple interviews, including some with yours truly, on this very podcast, at the pages of Monte Cristo magazine, and most recently in the first episode of our YouTube series, Real Talk About Race in BC Film, in which we zeroed in on white supremacy in the Vancouver film and television industry. Rakia has spoken about the impact of constantly reading for demeaning stereotypical roles. Roles like unnamed slave, ghetto baby mama, evil voodoo priestess, and the do-gooder in need of a white savior. And those are all character types that she wrote about in Dear Becky. Rakia has done a lot of work for a lot of years to make her point. But with the black dirt, she's taking us further than she's ever taken us before. She's not only telling us about the realities of life for black actors, she's showing us. She's pulling us in and stirring our hearts and minds and souls in a way that only art can do. Rakia wrote and directed The Blackter, which will have its world premiere at the 2021 Vancouver International Film Festival. Here's how Viff describes the film. On her way to another demeaning audition for yet another stereotypical role, a black actress is stopped by an undercover cop who believes she's involved in a break and enter. The film features an astounding performance by Kia King as Khadija, AKA the Blackter, as well as Mark Hildreth, Tiana Marie Smith, and friends of the podcast, Ali Liebert and Enid Ray Adams. I had a visceral reaction to the Blackter. I felt the depth and breadth of Khadija's talent, shame, fear, despair, and frustration. I feel it now. The Blackter is the kind of film that bores itself into your bones. And I'll say here right now that I'm actually credited as a producer on The Blackter. I donated funds to the crowdfunding campaign on behalf of this podcast because we here, we are committed to making positive change in this industry. And there's no doubt that this film will spark change. So today, I'll speak with Rakia about her journey to this moment 
and the changes that she would like to see moving forward. Rakia, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. What a wonderful intro. Wow. (laughs) Well, you know, I feel like we've been on a, you and I and our listeners and the viewers and the readers have have been on a journey together, Mm -hmm. especially in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm going to include links to everything that I mentioned in the uh, footnotes for this episode, but today is really about the Blackter and how we got here. So let's talk about the origin story for your remarkable film. What kind of film did you want to make? And what didn't you want the Blackter to be when, um, you, when you first wrote it? Yeah, when I first wrote it, uh, it was just something that came from me. It was it's it's been a concept that's been in my mind for a little while you know i've you know as an actor i've watched a ton of tv and film and i've seen the various stereotypical tropes that various races uh, end up playing mm-hmm. and um and i'm always amazed at how frequently we see them mm-hmm. and uh so the genesis of the story is kind of twofold when i first I started acting many, many millions of years ago. Um, I was fresh out of Oh, come on old. now. <laughs> I'm older than you, and I'm not um, a million years old. <laughs> um, uh, it was the early 2000s, and I graduated from Ryerson Theater School, and I was one of the lucky ones that graduated with an agent. So I was auditioning pretty immediately, you know, albeit I was broke and mm. in debt and, you know, just fiery to make, up, to make it. And uh, at the time, the, the, you know, these urban uh, movies, the John Singleton types, the Do the Right Things, those were, those were on the cultural zeitgeist. And they're very important films, but mm-hmm. it was kind of all of what we saw of Black people. Mm-hmm. And then there was uh, on film. And so I was auditioning for films like that. And I remember auditioning for a role that was kind of a gangster audition and you know I was super green I came in fully dressed with the bandana like I was a crip over blood and you know I drew uh teardrops with my eyeliner like it was tattooed Mm. on my face baggy outfit you know just just this idea that I had that I had seen that I was like oh this is what they want to see and you know I did the audition I didn't get the part but it was still good anyway um going home I lived downtown Toronto at that time and I went to my local grocery store to pick up, I don't know, whatever, milk, ketchup, toilet paper. And the store owner followed me. Ooh. And it's not the first time that someone had followed me. You know, there's all kind of looks that you get, but particularly with the attire I was wearing. Mm. Um, it just, I'm sure it just kind of solidified a kind of idea that the store owner had. And... I had been in this store because it's my local grocery store and I, I just wondered to myself, how did that person learn to treat me like this? Mm. And, and it just kind of stuck with me that me auditioning for this part and then getting this part is part of the perpetuating of how to teach people how to you know, judge black people. 
mm. you know, and judge them as a certain way. And, you know, I'm just trying to get a job. I'm trying to build my resume as an actor and trying to make it. And, uh, but there's a consequence to that. And jump forward, um, you know, I've been acting for about 20 years or so. And I haven't only played stereotypes, of course. I've played wonderful characters that are highly nuanced and I've absolutely loved. Um, and there's been some that have erred towards stereotypes as much as I tried not to play them anymore. But this idea and what I see on TV kind of is always there. And so I wrote it. Um, how the stereotypes that we see on TV have real life consequences. Um, so that's, that's the genesis of the story itself. I wanted to tell like how the two parallel each other. Yeah. And art imitates life and life yeah. imitates art. Oh, and you absolutely do that. And there are some, some twists in there that were very unexpected for me when I'm watching it. We're not going to mention them here. Uh, <laughs> but like it definitely has to do, you know, with the impact, you know, of, of what we see on screen on everybody, you know, in our society. Now, setting up to make this film, though, like what? Was there anything that you were like, okay, I want to, this is the kind of film I want to make and I want to make sure it's not this kind of film, hmm. you know, like what, like were, did you have any kind of like warning bells or anything in your mind about like, no, this is, this is not the kind of film I want to make. I want to make sure that it's like this. People can't see I'm waving my arms in the air for different <laughs> distances, but you can see, you can make sense of the question. For the, for the listener, she's pointing, she's like pointing to the left side of the screen and like this, and then on the right side of the screen, not like this. And exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I think I, you know, I call myself a baby director, baby writer. I mean, as much as I've always written and directed, uh, written, I've never really directed, I've never put my writing out there. So I, I quite, I, I, I really own the fact that I'm new to this um and i wanted to make a dark comedy um uh, we've hmm. seen a lot of films where we've seen a lot of police brutality over and over going there they are heart-wrenching and um and i thought to myself there's something absolutely absurd about this idea of um mirroring art and life and life and art and so in the script I had a stereotypical uh, gangster bitch type dialogue that the protagonist would have with the cop. And, uh, and I thought how awful and oddly funny it would be if she had to do her lines to prove that she's actually an actor Ugh. and not the part that she is auditioning for. And there's and that's the parallel I wanted to make. Um, uh, so I wanted to, I certainly want to make a dark comedy. I wanted the audience to feel uncomfortable when they're laughing. Um, or I wanted, <laughs> because there's something absolutely absurd about it. And it was funny because um, I actually wrote the film in 2019 and uh, tried to get it made. And I had a producer attached, and then they dropped out, and I had another producer attached, and then they dropped out. And, and you know, and with uh, life, life is busy. I just kind of put it on the back burner and I just thought, you know, people don't want to see this type of film or people don't want to commit to making it. Uh, jump forward to 2020 and Mr. George Floyd uh, and his uh, murder 
and the support that I had was astounding. Um, it was literally a 180 whiplash of absolutely no support to how do we help Rakia get this film made? We need to see this story. Um, and I think that was, you know, that was a huge part of, uh, of why it got made and why the audience wants to see it. So in terms of what I wanted people to see is I wanted to see the absurdity in <laughs> these roles and these stereotypes and how, you know, they affect people yeah. in real life. Now, Kia King delivers a powerhouse performance as Khadijah. Um, but I know, and you've just said that this film was mined from your own experiences in this industry. Why did you opt to stay behind the camera for this project? And how would you characterize the experience of watching Kia bring your deeply personal experiences and emotions to cinematic life? Um, yeah, it's a good question. I really debated about having someone else direct this and then I star in it. Um, or I thought, you know, maybe I can have a co-director so I can star in it, you know, do a little Michaela Cole thing where she had a, a co-director for I May Destroy You. Um, but there's a learning that has to happen, um, like in any journey, you know, a baby mm -hmm. has to learn how to crawl before they learn how to walk, before they learn how to run. And I thought if I'm gonna direct this right, I wanna just focus on that. And like with all short films, you end up producing it <laughs> along with <laughs> directing it. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, which I did. And, uh, and I thought I just, I just need to find a really, really strong actress who can carry this, who has, you know, a depth of creativity um, to offer. And um, having worked with Kia, I mean, we were on, we were both on Van Helsing together, but I don't think we ever had, we never had any scenes together, uh, but we stayed in touch, we, you know, and I watched her stuff and I thought, holy smokes, this is the actress I always dreamt I could be. Mm. I need her, I need her, I need her. And uh, so I pitched a script to her and she was on board immediately. And I was so honored to have her because that girl does not stop working. And mm. she managed to squeeze uh, in our little shoot amongst her very, very, very busy schedule that had her flying across the country. Um, so yeah, I just really wanted to focus on directing and, and yeah. producing as opposed to dividing my focus up too much. Um, I think in a few more movies, I'll maybe I'll try acting and directing at the same time, but let me tell you, it was really fun to direct. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, no, it was great. And especially since I wrote the script, you know, you hear a certain a voice in your head and then her voice is different from how you, how I heard it in my head. And it just, you know, she added so much. I, I encouraged her to like, if you have an impulse that, you know, is improvisatory, just go for it. I'll pull you back if it's not working. And uh, I just said, I just want you to feel free to do whatever the heck you want. And, uh, and she, she, just, she just said, okay, and flew. Oh, I love that. Let's, let's talk about then, uh, let's talk a bit more then about the experience of filming. Um, what impact do you think that this content had 
on the people on set? I mean, I know you were having fun as well and, and just like, you know, being the artist and being so excited to see your words and vision come to life. But we're also talking about, well, we're talking about some big, big stuff. You know, stuff that people people die over, that people lose their lives over. Yeah. You know, if, like even myself, who's had all these conversations with you, who who knew what the film was about, who sat down, like I know what this is about, and I still like I was like, there's a moment where the tears start coming, you know, and couldn't stop. Um, and so I can only imagine, you know, the 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 few days where you were where you were filming this, that there were moments like that as well. So can you tell me about what you were searing, seeing and what you were hearing from the people that you were working with for yeah, this film? Yeah, our crew all volunteered. Um, we put out a notice of needing crew to crew up. We shot during the pandemic, which had mm. its own layer of, uh, okay, how do we do this? <laughs> and how do we minimize our crew? And uh, because we had a lot of support, it was amazing. And um, uh, we shot over two days. Uh, so the first day was so much fun. It was all the uh, uh, the, I, the montage of the uh, of the stereotypical roles, mm -hmm. uh, all the bathroom stuff, and uh, and it was it was jokes. Everyone was laughing. I mean, my crew was very experienced, so they've seen these <laughs> these stereotypes happen in real life. My makeup mm -hmm. and hair department expressed some of the concerns that they felt that they bit their tongue over about can we make her look less ghetto um, if. With, with a makeup or hair direction that they yeah. had. So their heart and soul were in this project because they felt it was their contribution to, to, to speak out through their artistry, through their craft. Mm. Um, when it got to the police altercation scene though, um, it was a funny, it was a funny thing. Like the, everyone was having quite a good time on set. And then uh, we, but the police altercation scene was the first scene up on day two of our shoot. And I think after the fun that we had on day one, everyone came in with that energy and then we get to shooting the master and the the tone of the scent just, the, the tone of the set just went boom. It just rounded itself. And um, we were all in tears after the first the first uh, take of the master. And I hadn't thought about it, um, but I was like, oh, shoot, right. We're gonna have to do this over and over again. Get a couple takes of the master, oh. go in for the two shot, go in for this interesting move that I'm gonna do, you know, <laughs> oh. and over and over and over again. And, um, and we didn't have a lot of time because we're battling the sun. And uh, it was just, it was, it really, I don't know, I just felt like it really focused the set in a different way. Not that the, not that the set wasn't focused before, but it just really grounded everyone. Um, yeah. And I don't know, and I guess offered context to what we had shot the day before, which was mm. all jokes and, um, yeah, and uh, but everyone was on board, and you know, I, I, I talked to Kia a lot. Um, if we could afford it, a you know on-set therapist, I would have totally foot the bill for that. Um, 
because I wanted her of all people to feel safe mm. um, and and wanted everyone of color to feel safe. Um, our crew was 75% BIPOC. Mm. And uh, so the content is triggering for everyone. And so safety, emotional safety um, was of the utmost importance. And, um, and I think I think everyone felt it um, because they could see where I was coming from with writing the material. It wasn't, I'm not taking, an, I'm not being opportunistic here. We're like, oh, let's make some black content because diversity is what's selling right now. Yeah, diversity is so hot right now. So It's so hot right now, right? It's not that. <laughs> it's not that. Yeah. I truly felt this material came from another place and it's not about me. It's truly about the story and... Um, and what it needs to say about our industry. And because everyone working and volunteering is in the industry, it was all of our voices coming through. And I think that offered safety to the set to be able to do a very challenging scene. And also to be able to do a challenging scene and be like, go for the comedy. I know it's fucked up, but go for the comedy in it. Let's mess up the audience. Yeah, thank you for that, Rukia. You're welcome. (laughs) I hope that, I mean, and this is obviously, it's all up to you about what you want to do, but I really hope that this is not the only Ricky Bernard film that we're going to see and that this this might mark the beginning of your, you know, filmmaking, you know, writing, directing journey. And if so... What does this film tell us about the kinds of films that you will be making moving forward? Um, I, I, I'm all for social justice. I'm all for really analyzing uh, racial equity and equality and, you know, civil rights. I'm all for that. I do have another film coming up about abortion. And mm. um, and women's rights, which is you know another hot topic right now. Abortion so is so hot right now. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> but no, we're really looking at it and and um, and what it is to have the right to choose, which I'm a firm believer of. And um, you know, as an actor, we don't necessarily get to choose what we want. We choose what we want to do, but you know, the script will be what it is. The director will do what they do. The editor will do what they do, and you're mm. just kind of at the mercy of this journey. You know, when you offer your heart and soul to the character that you're playing. But as a as a writer director, I get to have a little bit more control mm. um, over the story that I put out there, and I'm a firm believer that. Um, our screens are the modern day church mm-hmm. because everyone has a screen as creators we have to be very conscientious over what we put out there and because the more people watch a certain thing the more it infiltrates into their psyche and how and, and, and adjusts their value set so creators are really, really important. And we're living in a time where everyone's creating stuff, makeup tutorials and, you know, all kinds of stuff. Podcasts. And podcasts. <laughs> I mean, but your podcast, but your podcast is on point, right? Like you're, yeah. you're sharing things that are important, I believe, right? And, Thank you. Uh, I believe is, so too. Which is why yes. it is supported. And, you know, I'm not knocking makeup tutorials. Lord knows I watch them, especially if I have a red carpet to do and I don't have a makeup and air team. <laughs> <laughs> they serve a purpose, but I just yeah. feel that we have to be very aware of 
what we put out there. And, um, and as we said, if people are just making stuff because it's hot right now, so hot that has it, it will never have any depth. Yeah. And then, and therefore church has no depth. You know yes, what I mean? Yes, absolutely. And, and I think that's sacrilegious to speak in religious terms. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Okay. Um, so your film is screening both uh, online uh, as well as in cinema as part of the 2021 Vancouver International Film Festival. And frankly, I've missed film festivals. So thank God we're evoking religion. Thank God uh, that that's back. But, you know, one of my favorite things that I have missed uh, in uh, you know, in, in the COVID age is going to see a film and then congregating, you know, in the lobby after being like, did you see that? What did you think of that? And how did it move you? And, you know, and really having conversations that are inspired by what we've seen on screen. So what kind of conversations would you like to inspire with the Blackter? Um, well, you know, when people go to film festivals, it's people who are part of our tribe that are normally there. Other filmmakers, people who mm. work on set, producers, studio heads, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I hope they see themselves in the uh, in the story in some way, you know, mm. like, oh, like in the same way how, you know, my makeup and hair team both were like, yeah, we've we've been given notes from our, you know, producers and stuff that we have to do these, you know, degrading things. They see themselves in the film. Um, so I hope they're able to inspire conversations as to what to do differently. What if we do want to tell a story about um, a gangster bitch, so to speak, right? Mm. Well, how about we make her more three-dimensional? How do we do that, right? Like, how do, how do we round out these stories? Why are we only seeing why are we only seeing films that, you know, like to show stereotypes? I hope uh, it can inspire that conversation. I mean, in my mind, I dedicated the film to everyone in the film industry, mm. especially the actors who have to do grind and audition and audition and audition just to get a job, you know, yeah. and the sacrifice that, that takes. So I hope it inspires that. I, I absolutely expect that it will. Um, a lot of industry people have said a lot of things and made a lot of promises in the wake of the murders of George Floyd, Ahmed Arbery, and yeah. Breonna Taylor. Lots of black squares in social media feeds, <laughs> lots and lots of diversity and inclusion training sessions and panels. A lot of people in power. They promised a lot of change. is so hot. <laughs> so hot. So hot. So, like, have you... Have you seen change that was promised? Are you feeling change as you as I, you navigate this industry? I see the change. I don't trust that it will last. I feel mm. like any kind of civil rights movement comes in cycles, right? Yeah, the 60s, then a few leaders were shot and killed. Mm. And then there was a kind of um, like a plateauing kind of period in the 70s and then the 80s was just fun fun let's do some cocaine right? <laughs> and then the 90s happened rodney king happened there was mm. riots and then another wave and then the 2000s and we were jiggy with it and so and then here we are again do you know what i mean like there seems to be a cycle of it um uh, so i don't but i feel like each cycle 
a little bit shifts, mm. right? And um, as much as we can, you know, uh, dog on social media and all that for the negative effects, it does have some positive effects, right? Um, because in this cycle, there's undeniable evidence that people cannot turn their eyes away from. Back mm-hmm. in the day in the 60s, you know, there was a lot more control from studio heads and whatnot as to what was seen on TV. So if they didn't want something to be seen, they just didn't show it. Now, that power lies in everyone's hands and their cell phones. So, um, yeah, I, it I, keeps people accountable. It keeps people yeah. really accountable. And it comes with, it's positive, but it's also negative. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, so I, I have hope that things will push in that direction. I am seeing a lot more calls for diversity and actors break down. So that's good. You know, I'm seeing more. In fact, my husband noticed it the other day. He watches a ton of sports and, um, the commercials that are airing on the sports channels are highly diverse. Hmm. And, um, and I, thought, I thought, oh, that's, that's different, you know? And uh, so that's great. What I would like to see change is the powers that be, be more diverse. I think that's where it all lies. That's where I don't trust the change because mm. the powers are, that be are just like, oh, the people want diversity. It's so hot as we've been joking around this whole interview. <laughs> Darkly right? comic, right? It, because it feels performative. It uh, feels super yeah. performative. And so I wish we could see uh, different uh, studio heads, um, uh, network heads, um, politicians even, like we're talking about shifting systems. And if we're gonna shift systems, you need people who have been on the bad side of the system mm. to be in power because they have a true perspective of what needs to change. Yeah. So anyway, I made a little short. <laughs> it's my <Yeah>. contribution. <laughs> Hey now, I'm, ha- I'm happy to be the tiny little small part of it that I am because I want to be part of the change. Yeah. Okay, before I let you go, mm-hmm. I cannot let you go <laughs> without talking about Nancy Drew, um, <laughs> uh, on which you play a very powerful journalist named Val. Um, and I know that you have not watched all of season two, uh, but I did because I knew Nicole Oliver was going to be in it, and mm-hmm. then Steve Lobo was in it, and mm-hmm. then you're in it. It's amazing. Um, but, you know, what? one of the things that I, I loved about watching Nancy Drew, which, you know, if it features a lot of, you know, these like young up and, up and coming, emerging, you know, actors and, mm-hmm. you know, is a favorite of, of people from many generations, but especially like, you know, um, young teens like my mm-hmm. child. And mm-hmm. um, but what I loved is how, is how Nancy Drew addressed issues like police brutality, and code shifting and even like racism and prejudice between Asian Americans and, and African Americans. And they just did it so seamlessly without like shoehorning it into, this is our very special episode. Yes. You know, this is our black square episode. Okay. And you know, so like, first of all, like what kind of conversations did these storylines inspire on set? You know, if, if you noticed anything like that and, and what do you think that other productions can learn from how Nancy Drew has like woven in the realities of life into what is a really rad supernatural detective series? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know. I feel like Nancy Drew, because of, I don't know, just the nature of the show itself, the characters are so well formed mm. that 
they just have to ask the question what is it like to be the token black person of this little small town mm. and i think i don't think a lot of writers ask that in the writers room they just you know cast the show and then you know oh we need diversity okay this character is going to be a black person or an asian person and then that one's gay and um and and then they proceed to write the show as per usual without right. actually thinking oh okay this show takes place in a small town what's it like for that one person what yeah. is it like right and and i feel like the writers room of uh nancy drew which is very diverse mm -hmm. um uh, does that and uh one the introduction of tom swift that was i think my <gasps> favorite uh, and I'm so excited. And he has his own show now. I'm yes! so excited for it. Um, oh, Tom so Swift, this awesome, young, black, gay, yes. tech yes. genius billionaire. billionaire. Yeah, like <laughs> Iron Man, but like... Yes. Yes, like, I am so excited for yeah. for for that show and to see what comes up of it. Um, uh, but that show I thought was that episode rather I thought was great and um, I think it was written by Melinda and Noga who are the showrunners of uh, of the show. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, God, I'm gonna mess up his name, Cameron. Please put it in the uh, in the footnotes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, please. Um, who is a black writer based out of Los Angeles um, to offer voice to the Tom Swift character mm. and um, and and just to really kind of dive into to what it's like to be the token black person in this town, to be dating a, an interracial, there is a, there's an Asian character and a black character or yeah. an interracial relationship and what that actually means. Um, and the pitfalls or the, or the great things that can come from it. And yeah. have these discussions and, and it was just organically done which was really nice as you mentioned as it, it wasn't spoon-fed to us at this yeah the black square episode <laughs> right because it diversity wasn't. is so hot so I think they just, hot i think they just do diversity yeah you know what i mean absolutely ricky bernard i appreciate you very much and i, I love the black bear and I cannot wait for more people to see the film. And I will have uh, links to the VIF, uh, both the streaming and the screening info uh, in the footnotes for this. And Rikia, where can our fans find you and follow you and celebrate you <laughs> and all you do on social media? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Rikia.Bernard. You can also follow at the underscore Blackter on Instagram. Um, you can find me on Twitter as Rikia Bernard and on Facebook as, guess what? Rikia Bernard. No. <laughs> Rikia Bernard, so hot right now. So hot right now. I can I also, a little bit of a, of a PS, um, I saw the name of your production company is yeah. Uhuru. Uhuru Productions, yeah. The name of your dog. My dog, Uhuru also means freedom. My dog. I know that too, but <laughs> <laughs> but I know it's the dog on which you base the physicality of the beginning of your Van Helsing performance. So yes, I love that. I was like, ah, doggy. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna let you go, and awesome, I'm gonna let awesome. you also go, listeners. Thank you. Please like, subscribe, 
Leave us a review if you are so inclined. They help us find even more listeners so that we can keep these conversations going. You can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at YVRScreenScene. The YVR Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Ronnie Furminger. And it's edited by... Thank you. Please follow me around and do that all day long. <laughs> and do it too for Simon Furminger. Special thanks to Mariana Furminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Furminger for technical support, and to Dane Not Furminger Devalet, poor, poor Not Furminger Dane, for the original music. Weber Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut! This ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of Hollywood North history, the fish flight. In the 1980s, the fish flight was an early morning flight from Vancouver that delivered fresh fish to Los Angeles before the start of the business day. These were the early days of Hollywood North, before digital deliveries and fast transfer speeds, and the pioneers of the Vancouver film industry began loading up the fish flight with film reels so Hollywood execs could review the footage shot on the previous day. The fish flight was also one of the building blocks of the visual effects and animation mecca that is present-day Vancouver. And Fish Flight Entertainment builds on this legacy. Fish Flight Entertainment serves the games, film, and television industries. We remember the days of the fish flight and attack our projects with the same passion as those pioneering days of yore. We believe in jumping off the cliff and building our wings on the way down. And who knows? That old fish with improvised wings may even fly. Learn more about Fish Flight Entertainment at fishflightentertainment.com. That's fishflightentertainment.com. <laughs>